Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst, I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation. Live from downtown Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. I'm real happy to be here and real happy that you are here too. Either live or in the future, listening to an archive or podcast version. Whatever it is, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining me. We have a great show this evening. Paris Marks, author, podcaster, tech critic, is back on the show. And uh, we're going to be talking about Apple's new launch of these virtual reality ski goggles, I guess you could call them, called Vision Pro. Uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Big surprise, right? I'm not a fan, and we're going to get into the reasons why. Paris is also not a fan. And by the end of the show, I hope you will understand, at least understand our point of view, and maybe agree with it. Uh, but uh, we'll see where we head by the end of the show. A word about Paris Marks. He was on the show last year on July 25, 2022, talking about his book, Road to Nowhere, What Silicon Valley Gets Wrong About the Future of Transportation. I liked that book a lot. And if you're interested in hearing about that book, you can go into the archives and listen to that interview. There are also links on that show's playlist to the book and uh, other materials with, with reference to our interview. You can find a link to the July 25, 2022 show on tonight's playlist, uh, which is at WFMU.org. Click playlists and comments, and you can see it there. If you're listening in the future to find tonight's playlist, go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H, tonic.fm, and find the June 19, 2023 show, and click the playlist link, and you'll see that there. But as I said, we're, we're not going to be talking about Paris's previous book. We're going to talk about uh, something he wrote for his Disconnect newsletter about Apple's Vision Pro headset. And uh, as you'll hear at the very beginning of the interview, the title of Paris's uh, column is Apple's Vision Pro headset deserves to be ridiculed. And this, uh, and I completely agree with him. And there's a particular reason why ridicule is really important at this phase of Vision Pro's um, right after the launch. I mean, the launch was just on June, what was it, June 5th, June 3rd? Uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago uh, from Apple. And ridicule is really important. We're going to get into the reason for that. It's not just to be silly. There's a, there's a specific tactical reason why ridicule is going to be helpful to us. I also just want to remind you or, or, or uh, reveal something, which I, I may make reference to after the interview as well, but there's a columnist at the New York Times named Ross Duthet who um, writes widely about uh, culture and society and trends and things. And on June 9, uh, Ross wrote a piece for the New York Times called Don't Wear the Goggles. Now, this is th that was a f just a few days after the launch, and a lot of columnists uh, were writing about Apple Vision Pro uh, pro or con, a lot of con, actually. 
But the reason I point out Ross's piece is because of something he said near the end of this column, and which I've, I've highlighted on the playlist at WFMU.org. But Ross, at near the end of this column, Don't Wear the Goggles, wrote, public derision is good and necessary. And he continued about public derision. He's speaking, he's speaking about public derision, derision of, of the Apple Vision Pro headset. He's, he's writing about those goggles themselves and saying public derision of the goggles is good and necessary. And furthermore, that, quote, our health as a society and species depends on sustaining it, meaning sustaining the derision of this headset. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because we're going to explain all. If you don't know much about the Vision Pro headset, we will explain all. Paris Marks and I, I'm real happy that he spent time speaking with me. And um, let's go ahead and listen to this interview. If you want to join in the live listener chat, go to WFMU.org. Click playlist and comments. And um, in the meantime, let's listen to my interview with tech critic Paris Marks here on Tectonic on WFMU. Paris Marks, welcome back to Tectonic. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat again. It's great to have you back on the show. You were first on the show on July 25, 2022, about a year ago, talking about your book, Road to Nowhere. And if listeners missed that episode, I'd recommend that back in the archives at WFMU.org. This time, I wanted to talk about an article in your Disconnect newsletter. I'll put a link to it on the playlist. You wrote on June 5th, a great column called Apple's Vision Pro Headset Deserves to be Ridiculed, uh, <laughs> which pretty much says it all. But it, it, it raises a question, why should it be ridiculed? So I wanted to bring you on to go through your thoughts. So for anyone who has somehow missed out on the tsunami of self-promotion coming out of Apple and its PR firm, can you describe what this Apple Vision Pro headset is. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll just start by saying it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the article and read the title. You know, some folks, some tech folks were were not very happy um, about me saying that people wearing these things uh, should be ridiculed, <laughs> as you can, as you can understand, you know. No, I can't uh, understand it. Well, they're down for this vision, right? <laughs> okay, well, I read your headline yeah. for the record, and I said, Paris is right. I agree. But go, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you're, these are these are my people, right? People <laughs> like you. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is a headset. You know, Apple announced that. Uh, you know, June fifth, I believe, was was the event. And you know, uh, basically, you know, they announced all these other things at the same time: the uh, updates to the operating systems, the new fifteen-inch MacBook Air, all that kind of stuff. But you know, everyone knew that really the point of this event, the one more thing that was coming at the end, was the Vision Pro headset. And we've seen, you know, plenty of these companies putting out headsets in recent years, VR headsets, you know, Microsoft has had one, Meta has had one, Meta was really pushing the metaverse really hard, you know, in the past couple of years that has kind of died off a little bit. But now Apple is joining this fray and their headset is a little bit different. So, you know, again, any kind of headset you're used to seeing, it's kind of like that sits on your face, uh, has some kind of uh, headphones built into it, has a battery pack that goes and sits down in your pocket that's connected with a cord but kind of the goal or, or the vision uh with the vision pro is to say that you know you're going to put this thing on your face it's going to basically allow you to 
to operate like it's a computer, like it's a home entertainment system, whatever, by looking through this headset and the really high definition screens that are in front of your eyes. But if anyone kind of steps into the lens, if anyone else is around it, you'll be able to see through that as well, to see them, to talk to them. And when they look at you, there's going to be a little screen on the outside that is not going to show your eyes, but it's going to show like a digital approximation of your eyes based on all the cameras that are kind of watching your facial features and stuff like that. And, you know, I think Apple imagined that that eye feature as being something that shows, you know, you're not just wearing a headset, you're not disconnected from the world, you can still kind of interact with people. But I think, you know, most people's sense when seeing that for the first time was, man, this looks incredibly weird. Um, and why would I want to interact with anyone wearing one of these weird headsets? <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a sense of the uncanny valley there in that you're looking at someone wearing this giant headset but there's this sort of accurate representation of their eyes looking back at you. And that sits poorly with me because the headset is saying, there's nothing going on. They're looking straight at you. But of course they're not. It's not even a photograph. It's not even a, a video representation of the eyes. As you say, they, they scan the eyes and then they reproduce that through some sort of algorithmic construction. And so you're supposed to think that you're making eye contact with a person, but you're actually making eye contact with a machine that is showing you a filtered representation of the person inside the little face jail. Similarly, the person, as you say, on the inside is seeing a representation of the world outside, including you, you know, if you're standing in the room talking to them. To me, that's the basic first problem with this is that this is a filter between the wearer and the rest of the world. And you made a good point about this in your column, Apple's Vision Pro headset deserves to be ridiculed. I just love saying the headline again and again. <laughs> um, you wrote, it's a profoundly isolating vision for this next stage of computing, one that expects us to even further recede into our individual bubbles and away from the collective experience of the world around us. I, I thought that was well said. How should we think about this isolating effect of this thing when, when people put it on? I think you've put it really well, right? Because when I think about the impact of the tech industry and what the tech industry has been trying to do for the past 10 or 15 years, it's really to insert itself in the middle of as many interactions that we make as possible, right? You know, we don't call a taxi company or hail a cab anymore. We need to press a button on our phones that goes through an app that then kind of connects us with that, right? Or we don't like talk to people. We don't call people. All of our interactions are now through Facebook or now through some of these, these apps and these platforms and these messaging apps, right? We don't go to the store anymore. Sure. Like, yeah, we can all that kind of stuff. People do still go to the store, but the expectation of the tech industry is that we're going to order things from Amazon or, you know, we're going to order things from Uber delivery apps, Uber Eats, you know, all these different delivery apps that are out there that deliver things to you and that you're going to kind of stay home, stay in your little bubble and just interact with the world through all of these services. And I think that we saw that, you know, most completely during the early stages of the pandemic when a lot of people were in lockdown or just kind of in kind of self-isolation because we were trying to reduce our contacts to limit the spread of the virus, right? And we saw during that moment that the revenues and the profits for all these tech companies soared. It was really beneficial to them 
for us to interact more and more with their services and their screens to do even more, to communicate even more through tech services that were available to us instead of interacting directly with people. And I think you've really nailed it in how you describe that is now, you know, you're not only looking at your phone all the time and doing things through your phone, but now they're even sticking a computer right on your face. And every time you even look at someone and talk to somebody and then they look back at you, you're still like that interaction is now directly mediated. Even that physical interaction is mediated by a screen, by a computer. And and I just think that like, I think a lot of people already recognize that these tech companies have done too much to like colonize our lives, right? And that we've we've kind of been absorbed too much into our phones and, and into our screens and all those sorts of things, especially after that experience of the pandemic. And I think people kind of craved reconnection, right? And to see people again. And I think it's really telling that the vision of a company like Apple is now to stick like screens on our face and between our physical interactions to kind of further extend this instead of kind of taking a step back and reassessing the impact of the tech industry over this past decade or so. Yeah, that's right. As you say, Apple could have looked at its to it's almost $3 trillion now. It's well over $2 trillion market capitalization and could have said, how can we use technology to help people start connecting genuinely now, now that we're done with the pandemic and we have these tools available that can help knit communities back together again and whatever. There's so many things Apple could have done with the tools. And instead, as you say, they went in the other direction. They said, you know how you have to use your phone to connect with someone, use a phone to get a car, use a phone to get your groceries, forget the phones. We're going to strap something on their face so that every single thing that they do to interact with anybody and anything in the entire world has got to go through our screen. There's an economic reason for this. Absolutely. <laughs> you have a podcast. You have an excellent podcast called Tech Won't Save Us. This is another uh, link I'm going to put on the playlist. And you've done a great job over the years of pointing out the economic underpinnings of the moves of these big tech giants. Based on your many episodes on Tech Won't Save Us, can you just give a summary of what their goals are by inserting themselves in the middle of everything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about those early years of the pandemic, right? And what that showed us it, in particular, like it really put it in stark contrast, right? We were all isolated at home. We were all using our devices much more than usual because of that. And as a result, their profits and their revenues soared, right? They benefited immensely from having us be isolated. And, you know, in the piece, and honestly, it's a piece that I refer to back to all the time. Lauren Smiley wrote in 2015, she wrote about this concept of the shut-in economy, right? And at that time, she was living a bit outside the Bay Area, and she moved back into San Francisco or, or Oakland or, you know, one of those cities. And she found that all of a sudden, like, you know, this is 2015, this is quite early days in, in the gig economy as it was really taking off. But all of a sudden, people were getting so many things, so many services that they relied on kind of delivered through these apps. And as a result, they were staying home much more or staying at work much more. We're not going out to do these things. We're not kind of having these interactions, but we're using these apps to create this new service economy that sure kind of extended that service economy to a slightly wider swath of people, but also meant that more people were kind of absorbed into the bottom of that funnel in providing those services. And there was a really stark divide between the served and the servants essentially, right? And I think that 
what we've really seen is that kind of extend through the economy even further to many more cities beyond the Bay Area. And this expectation that this is kind of going to be a core kind of dividing line that the tech industry is enabling. So these companies benefit immensely when they can kind of take services that already exist or, or interactions that are already happening and make them happen kind of through their devices or through their services so that they can take a cut so that they can get the data, all that kind of stuff. And I think that what we've kind of seen is they've already colonized so much that they need to find new ways of making money, of making profit. And I think like for me, when I think about Meta's push to go into the metaverse, right, and to create that, because this is related to what Apple is doing here, it's a desire to say, okay, you know, we've colonized social media, we've kind of taken this over, we've wrung as much profit as we can out of that, there's not much growth left in it. So what are we going to do now to make more money? Well, we're going to create this whole digital world where you need to be constantly engaged in it, where we can track and collect data on everything that you're doing, where we can serve you targeted ads because we know you know, constantly where you're looking and stuff because you have this headset on your face. But also, you're going to need to buy all these digital goods to fill out you know, your personal environments and these experiences that you're having and kind of to clothe your avatar and, and all this sort of stuff, right? So there's a big kind of profit opportunity that they saw there, um, you know, putting aside how kind of totally dystopian it is that we'd all be strapping these headsets to our face and living in a digital environment instead of a physical one. And so I think now when we extend it to Apple, I think Apple is slightly different there, right? Because you know, obviously Facebook is a social media company. It's not much of a hardware company. We know that Apple makes a ton of its money off of expensive hardware that has really high profit margins. Another way to say expensive with high profit margins is that they're overpriced, but keep going. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, they're they're very much overpriced. Um, and, and everybody knows it, but unfortunately, people still keep buying it, including me. So, you know, I'm, I'm not off the hook here. But Apple is a company that makes a lot of money off of hardware, which is a bit distinct from a lot of the other other kind of tech companies that are operating right now, you know, Amazon is e-commerce and kind of cloud computing. And, you know, Google is obviously ads and Facebook is ads. So Apple's a bit different there. Um, and that's part of the reason why they make some decisions that are a bit different from some of these other companies that have hurt companies like Google and Facebook in reducing ad tracking and things like that. But they're obviously looking at like, what is the next big hardware product through which, you know, everyone is going to kind of engage in the future. And they see that, okay, they control the screens, they have the computers, they've done the bigger phone, which is the iPad, they have the watch, like, how are they going to extend it further? We have reporting on, you know, the development of, of this headset that suggests that Apple did want smart glasses. Like, that was their goal. That was what they wanted to achieve. So it would not be as bulky. So you could wear it out in the world like a Google Glass that we saw in the past, um, you know, which was ridiculed out of existence. Um, but they were not able to kind of really technologically achieve that. And so that is why they've put out this headset today and refashioned it less around what you're going to do out in the world with it, but how it's going to kind of replace your computer and your home entertainment system and be something that you use at work and in your home and all this sort of stuff, right? So I think that the key here is that when we think about what these tech companies are doing, and I think, you know, there's they're always being driven by how are we going to kind of, you know, please our shareholders? How are we going to make more money? Because, you know, they're public corporations. This is what's driving them. This is, you know, basically at the core of what they have to do. But they are shaping our future and the technology that we use and the expectation of what that technology should look like and how it should act because they need to serve shareholders and they need to find new ways to make profit. You know, it doesn't matter if this is ultimately good for the public or kind of, you know, broadly beneficial 
they need to make money at the end of the day. And that is what is shaping the type of technology that we have and we use and we expect to use. On that point, that's something that bothers me about this headset, that I know I saw some of the reporting that there was some dissent internally within Apple about whether this was a worthy thing to be launching. I can imagine there's smart people within Apple. They got to be thinking, some of them, this is a really dystopian thing. This is, this is no better than what Mark Zuckerberg was tooling around with uh, recently with his, with his metaverse. Why can't we build something else, something a little more beneficial to people? But I think you're right. Apple leadership looked at what was available for them to sell, what the market opportunity is if they pull this off the profits of locking people into their little face jail and having to buy every transact everything through Apple's gatekeeping, it's an immense treasure trove of profit and growth awaiting the company if they can succeed at that. Absolutely. It's another app store, you know, and they'll take all the cut of all the apps that are sold through that, that people are using through the headset. I think the other piece of it as well is, you know, Tim Cook has been in the job now for over a decade. And he kind of feels he needs to prove himself, right? He needs to launch some big new product line. Sure, the watch was like under his leadership, but was kind of in the works before that. Um, and I think many people don't count it. And like AirPods, like, you know, I don't think that really counts as a massive new product category in this, you know, along the lines of like an iPod or an iPhone or an iPad or something like that. So he needs to kind of show off that that he can do this thing, right? That he, that Apple is still Apple, even post Steve Jobs and can still kind of transform and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's no notable. A lot of tech people are kind of pointing this out in like tech journalists and stuff. And to a certain degree, I don't think it's a huge thing. But like, I do think it is actually notable that, you know, in the past, you always saw Steve Jobs and the executives like playing with the new tech and using the new tech, you know, he was demonstrating the iPhone on stage and the iPad and, you know, kind of pulled the MacBook Air out of the manila envelope and all that kind of stuff. And with the headset, no executives wore it, not even like not on stage, but not afterward either, because they know it looks stupid. And they know that if they put it on their face, they're going to look ridiculous. There was a, a Good Morning America clip. Tim Cook went on Good Morning America to like promote the Vision Pro. He didn't wear it. You know, he talked to the interviewer. I can't her name is Robin something, but she wore it. And there's like a few clips of her like sitting on the couch, like, you know, with her hands just in the air controlling things and this headset on her face. And she looks ridiculous. Like, of course. And that's why they know they're not wearing it because they know everyone will see it and say, this is stupid. I Yeah, that's a good point. I wish we had seen that at WWDC. You know, Tim yeah. comes on. And he sits down in the chair. Just hold on. Let me let me get it on my face. Let me take my glasses off, you know. <laughs> there's a there's another aspect of this that you write about in your newsletter, which is a section called Screens Are Profitable. And you point out very correctly that the metaverse was the big thing last year. I mean, everyone was metaverse this, metaverse that. I mean, the the tech industry is so fad-oriented right now. I mean, you can say a, a year and people will say, oh, the fad that year was, you know, crypto. It was blockchain. Last year was metaverse. And this year, we all know what the fad is. It's AI, this magic, <laughs> this magic artificial intelligence that's going to improve everything and make everything amazing. And then Apple in the middle of the AI year comes out with its sort of kind of metaverse headset. Do you think, Paris, that Apple is off trend or are they playing four-dimensional space chess here, that there's some good reason why they would launch a headset as the metaverse hype has receded to be replaced by AI hype? 
I think it's a few things, right? I think on one hand, Apple kind of exists in a bit of a different universe than a lot of the other tech companies in the industry. Like it's massive and it can kind of do its own thing because it knows either way, it's still going to sell a ton of iPhones and Macs and all that kind of stuff, right? And if you think about the whole kind of NFT crypto moment, Apple was really not involved in that. And the crypto people kind of hated Apple because it was limiting the crypto services that were available through the App Store and stuff like that, right? So they were not even really on good terms and Apple wasn't really capitalizing on that kind of big binge either. The metaverse people also hate Apple because again, it was limiting this sort of metaverse functionalities that could happen on Apple devices because of, again, the App Store. Um, and you saw Epic Games and, and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, really going after Apple and wanting to break the App Store monopoly. Epic Games, of course, the company behind Fortnite, Yes. Didn't didn't yes. like the 30% cut. So it was billionaire v billionaire on that one. That was an interesting fight. Totally. You know, and of course, Tim Sweeney, who's the CEO of Epic Games, would always say, you know, he was fighting for the player and all oh, this Oh, for stuff, the little but... guy. I'm yeah. just a regular old, I'm regular old billionaire just fighting for you. Yeah. Totally. Sorry, yeah. He's, he certainly didn't want to break, you know, Apple's monopoly so he could form his own and just take those excess Never. profits for himself. Right. <laughs> But, you know, so Apple is is coming out with this headset now. And I don't think it's necessarily off trend because I think Apple can be off trend. And, you know, as you saw when the headset came out, obviously there was ridicule from people like me, people saying this is ridiculous. You know, tech reviewers, I think it's fair to say that they were generally positive, but most of them still admitted that they don't really see what the use case is. But then you also have the Apple fanboys, which is really kind of a strong community that were totally on board with this, want to try it, want to give it a shot, want to believe that this is possibly the future and not really thinking through the potential implications of what that future could be because it's Apple. But I would say as well, Apple isn't completely kind of outside of this um, AI trend. What we did see at the WWDC presentation, which is the same one where it announced the Vision Pro headset, was that it was actually introducing a bunch of new AI features into its various operating systems. It just never actually used the term artificial intelligence. They would always say machine learning and stuff like that. Um, not kind of playing on the, the hype and the trend, but they're still, you know, sticking some generative AI and some updated kind of AI systems and large language models and all that kind of stuff into their um, operating systems. They're just not kind of, you know, going so hard at it like Microsoft and trying to really kind of play up the hype and whatnot, because I think they know they don't need to. I think that there's a recognition that Apple is not going to be like some AI leader. It's not going to build the big generative AI system, but they can still integrate some AI features and and take advantage of what it needs in order to improve the operating system and the services that it offers. So it's doing that, but I don't think it needs kind of the hype um, in a way some of the other companies are really trying to play up because it's more of a hardware company than a services company. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'm your host. We are halfway through my interview with tech critic, writer, podcaster, Paris Marks, who wrote a piece recently in his Disconnect newsletter called Apple's Vision Pro Headset Deserves to be Ridiculed. And we're going over the many, many reasons why that is so. If you'd like to join in the live listener chat, go to WFMU.org, click playlist and comments, or once again in the future, you can find it at tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm on the June 19, 2023 show. 
Let's go ahead and listen to the second half of my interview with Paris Marks here on Tectonic on WFMU. All right, let's talk about our response. When Google Glass came out in 2013, there was an immediate pushback. It was a national, I guess international, because it was happening in Canada as well, campaign to get rid of Google Glass, meaning don't wear that thing around me. There were restaurant and bar owners who famously put up signs saying no glass holes allowed. And The Daily Show did an interesting bit that you linked to in your column with Jason Jones making fun of the Google Glass wearers. So there was an intentional campaign, both by some media sources and by everyday people, to ridicule. It wasn't so much personally against the wearers. I feel like it was just ridiculing the device and trying to encourage those people to make the better choice and throw the dystopian headset in the e-waste facility, which most of them did. So here we are again, 10 years later. How are we going to go about it now? Yeah, I think that we definitely need to learn from the Google Glass campaign and what happened there. And I think that we actually see like a pretty similar beginning to this whole process. Because of course, when Google kind of released Google Glass, it did this big presentation, it showed off what it was going to do, you know, it kind of over exaggerated what was potentially going to be achieved through it. And then it had this kind of expensive beta period where certain people could sign up in order to get the device early and kind of go around wearing it, test it, and then Google would learn from that. And, you know, it would kind of go from there, right? The idea is this would kind of be stage one and they would have a stage two down the road where it was really open to the public and, you know, whatever. It never reached that stage because, you know, as you say, the people wearing it were known as glass holes. You know, the general public was concerned about people having cameras on their glasses and when they were recording because it wasn't clear when they were. Um, and of course, some of the people who joined this uh, testing program and started to wear it out, in, out into the public really felt that, you know, I, I guess it was fair to say they were not the most uh, appealing people, not the nicest people. You know, uh, <laughs> they were pretty aggressive about the fact that this was the future. They should be allowed to wear this wherever they want. And the public was really not buying that. And so obviously what we saw was Google Glass eventually was disappeared by the company. It did not become a mass product. It was not sold to the public. And what ended up happening was there were some enterprise uses like Google Glass was still developed for enterprise use in some niche cases but it was never something that you really saw out in the public. And so what we're seeing with Apple is they've done this presentation, they've showed off this device, they've said, you know, it's going to be amazing in the future of computing and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't go on sale until early next year. Then it will only be available in the United States. It will cost $3,500, which is really going to put it out of reach for a lot of people. Um, so you're going to have a very small kind of base of consumers that are using it in the beginning. One of the big differences between Google Glass and Vision Pro is that Google Glass was very much worn out in public, whereas Vision Pro, because it is this large headset on your face, I think we're going to see a lot less of that. And we're going to see people kind of in their homes or in the workplaces who are wearing it. But I think that there should be kind of an expectation that when we see people who are wearing this thing, we should say, really, like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you wearing that? It's ridiculous. Like, I, I think that we need to kind of keep up this skepticism and this kind of this doesn't make sense. This isn't the future. We're not cool with this. We don't want to be expected to kind of wear this into the future. And we don't want to see other people doing so. Because if we look at what Apple actually showed off in their presentation, like the use cases for this device, it was kind of like, 
a mother sitting at home on her couch doing work and then her daughter kind of comes into view and is like a you know the camera allows her to be seen that the the headset does and they had this like weird awkward conversation where her daughter is looking at her computer <laughs> eyes and like it's very weird and then another demo is like this father oh this was the nightmare yeah he's doing work on his headset and then like he goes and looks at his kids wearing this headset and starts recording them with the headset. So he has a memory to look at later when he's like all alone. And like some people were commenting, like, I guess the wife and the kids have left him. And so like, <laughs> you know, it's like a divorced dad sitting home with his headset on. Um, and there, there was another one like, and this was kind of the most egregious one. Again, one of these kind of fathers sitting at home alone in the dark, nobody else around and is like watching a video of his daughter's birthday party. And the the question is like, why were you wearing this headset during your daughter's birthday party when she's blowing out the candles on her cake? Like, what is the vision of this future and, and what you're doing with this? So because Paris, let me just answer that for you, because yeah. there is no other way to get a video record of a kid blowing out a birthday cake. We've never had a way to capture video of a birthday party over the last 50 years. It just <laughs> hasn't been developed. I, I know what I want to see is like, or, or what I would want to see like as a child is I'm blowing up my birthday cake and my father is sitting across from me wearing a headset with weird <laughs> computer eyes staring at me. <laughs> like, you know? Well, that'd be a great, great place to start in therapy when it's, yeah, when yeah. it's time. But yeah, so, you know, I, I think ultimately, I think we should learn from the Google Glass campaign. But I think that we can also look at kind of some things that have happened more recently in the past few years, right? We can see that there was, you know, a certain degree of ridicule of crypto and blockchain. And that was, and, you know, not just ridicule, but like, criticism of the idea that this should be the future of like the financial system and how we transact with one another and all that kind of stuff. And the idea that this was going to be the future, right? And I feel like because of that critical perspective that was very common, that was one of the reasons why we have kind of seen that future recede. And the same thing goes for the metaverse. You know, when when Mark Zuckerberg put this out, he was putting a ton of money and resources from Facebook, now Meta, behind it. And the vision was, you know, this was the future. This was the future of computing. And people immediately like laughed at it and said, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not... <laughs> going to live in this virtual world. I want to live in the real world. Right. Um, and, you know, now we see that the metaverse hype has died down. Meta and Zuckerberg say that AI is their top priority now. You know, they're still kind of working away at this, but it's not to the same degree that they were pushing a couple of years ago. And so I think that when we look at this Apple headset, we need to say the same thing. And we need to say, is this really the vision that we want for the future of computing? You know, we're already obsessed enough with our phones. I was reading a column by Brian Merchant, the, the tech columnist at uh, the LA Times the other day. And he kind of wrote, you know, we're already so obsessed with our phones. Now do we really want to strap our phones onto our faces and like, be even more kind of in the world of our phones. Like, I don't think that's what most people want. And so I'm not denying that maybe there are some, again, niche use cases, like with Google Glass for the Vision Pro, some enterprise use cases, some developers might like it, you know, some, some kind of small use cases like that. But I think for Apple, and if we look broadly at the tech industry, niche is not acceptable, right? 
it has to be a massive product that is going to be used by hundreds of millions or billions of people, or it doesn't make sense anymore because it won't make the shareholders happy enough. And I think that we should reject the idea that that many people should be owning these headsets and using that to interact and, and to engage with the world in the future. Yeah, as you say, all of this is driven by the need for stock price growth. Why should all of us have to endure the changes in society, kids having to endure this at their birthday parties and all of the rest, just because Tim Cook needs to cement his legacy and double the stock price again? I mean, I wonder if post-pandemic, all of these trillion dollar or so companies, these big tech companies, having enjoyed the meteoric rise of their stock price over the pandemic years, now they're saying, man, in order to grow again from this overblown stock price, now we need something incredible. So like the metaverse or these headsets or AI is going to revolutionize. It's like they can't talk about anything without hyping everything to an infinite degree. It's like tone it down, guys. But they can't because if they don't deliver some incredible thing in the next few years, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to their stock price? This is another thing that you've covered a lot on Tech Won't Save Us, this idea that everything has to be driven in favor of stock growth for the, this handful of companies. Absolutely. It, and it's it's like basically breaking society, right? I think that you describe it really well with Apple because we can look at its trajectory. You know, Steve Jobs comes back, he launches the iPod, he launches the iPhone and these other products that cause Apple to really like explode in size as a company. But then, you know, he dies and Tim Cook takes over. And Tim Cook is really like the money guy, right? Like he introduces the dividend on the stock. He's very concerned about, you know, he really ramps up the stock buybacks. He's very concerned about pleasing investors and shareholders. And that is part of the reason why his kind of Apple has been defined less by like launching new products and innovation, but like increasing the number of SKUs, increasing the number of price points that's available so that you can sell more things so that you can make more money to keep the investors happy, right? Um, that really defines Tim Cook's Apple. And now they're like $3 billion company or $3 trillion company, sorry. And it's like, how much further can we push this thing? And I feel like, you know, you talked about the downsides of this, right? How we need to kind of accept the consequences of these companies constantly pushing for infinite growth and to need to keep growing and to find new ways of making money. And I think that the past few years have kind of been in a sense a reckoning with that, right? Because we saw in the early 2010s, like, most people, yes, there was criticism, but it was kind of like, yeah, we need to kind of pump up the tech industry. We need to hype this up. We need to believe that this industry is creating all these jobs and kind of like helping us re recover from uh, the recession and blah, 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 right? And then, you know, in the latter half of the 2010s, we started to say, wait, like what was the impact of ignoring all the potential consequences of these business models? Like look at what Facebook has done in allowing all of this like content to explode onto its platform and in shaping our engagement in a way to make it more money, but to then kind of degrade kind of the social connections that we have. Or look at Amazon, you know, it has grown. It's a global juggernaut. It makes all this money, but that's built on kind of really mistreating the workers in its warehouses and 
doing its deliveries that have to pee in bottles, that have really high rates of injury, all this kind of stuff. And Amazon doesn't pay its taxes. Exactly, exactly. And all of these companies are like aggressively pursuing tax avoidance strategies. And like, you know, I could go on and on and tell you about all the downsides about all the tech companies and how they're all kind of doing this stuff, right? But we kind of know the story by now. We're kind of reaching a point where the question is, do we keep kind of embracing these companies? Do we keep saying, okay, what do they need next? And how do we embrace it and embrace their visions of the future? Or like, how do we challenge this and say like, this is not acceptable anymore. Like we're not kind of running on the treadmill for you guys anymore. So you can keep making all of this money. So you can keep transforming kind of economic and social relations so that it best benefits you. And that's kind of like what I explore with the podcast and what I'm interested in, because I do feel like most people are fed up. But the problem is, it's like, how do you change this massive system that is kind of outside of the control of all of our hands? And that's really, I think, the difficult question. This might be the turning point here. I don't know. But Apple as certainly one of the most wealthy and influential companies in human history is making a really big bet on this Vision Pro headset right now. And it's going to start coming out within a few months and people are going to start spotting people wearing these headsets. By the way, you mentioned it's going to be used at home. It's going to be used in the workplace. The demo day did show someone in public wearing it on a plane because, of course, right. that's where you're stuck in a seat and you don't have to worry about walking around with a headset. And that's – there's something – there's a dial on top to dial away the rest of the world, meaning the passengers sitting near you. And it's called the crown because you're a king or a queen. You're royalty when you wear this <laughs> this face jail. And you can dial – using the crown, quote unquote, you can dial away the other people who are annoyingly around you and go back into your – so you're going to see on planes, buses. I'm sure in New York City subway there's going to be some dude wearing a stupid headset and the question is, what do we do right then? Because if we can kill this thing dead, then Apple has misfired, totally misfired on its biggest bet. And maybe that puts a crack in their plans for further growth. The alternative is if the Vision Pro succeeds, some people say, well, Apple's not that bad, you know, because they claim to be all about privacy. And I like them, their their sleek designs and all that. Whatever. Let's just grant for a, a, a moment that maybe Apple is not as bad as the others. If Apple succeeds, five hot seconds later, every other tech company in the world is going to announce their even crappier headsets. No privacy built in, just all the tracking and malware coming in. I mean, it, this is essentially what happened with the iPhone and, and Android phones from Google. You know that Google and Facebook and even Amazon are probably coming up with a plan B just in case this Vision Pro succeeds. They're going to launch their even more dystopian device. And then you're going to see them everywhere because it's not just the Apple one. It's going to be so we have a branching path here in this choose your own adventure. We can either kill this thing dead now and maybe open up a crack in the market such that we have a possibility of another way. I don't know what that way would be, but maybe there are other possibilities in this world other than marching in lockstep to dystopian $3 trillion companies, just maybe. Or if we fail, meaning the Vision Pro succeeds, every other company jumps on this and we have a, a, a hydra, multi-headed hydra of a problem that we then have to deal with. I couldn't agree with you more. When I saw the demo of like the airplane thing, my immediate thought was like, 
then what about the flight attendant? Like, that's so weird. And what about the people around you? Like, they're still there. Like, how can you just block? Like, it made me really uncomfortable to think about that. Like, it's one thing to be wearing headphones and to not be able to hear very well. It's another thing to like block out the the vision altogether. And on your point about the other companies following through, that's key, right? Because if Apple succeeds in this, they're all going to do the same thing. And we already see that they've been trying to, right? You know, Microsoft has had its headset. Meta has its headsets. So they'll just build on whatever Apple is doing. But the key here is that, okay, maybe Apple has a bit more privacy built in or isn't sharing as much data. But, you know, first of all, this is a $3,500 headset. Who is wearing that? Yes, it's the Vision Pro. So there will eventually be like a, an Apple Vision or Vision One or whatever that's slightly more affordable, but it's still going to be very expensive. So most of the people who are going to be buying these things early on will be looking at the cheaper brands that will be making those compromises that you're talking about. And we'll be forwarding this dystopian vision where Apple can step back and say, no, like our initial vision wasn't this, but really they have enabled it. And they have kind of, you know, laid the groundwork and the foundation for this vision of computing to really spread. And I think that, you know, to pick up on your final point, like, if we can kind of put a dent in Apple's armor, that is so important. If we can, if if even a company like Apple that is so like really beloved by like a lot of these Apple fanboys can really have a massive failure to this degree. Like it's one thing for the HomePod to fail. They never really put a lot of energy behind that. It's another thing for this Vision Pro to really not sell and to really underperform. And hopefully for Apple to kind of, you know, put it into the tool shed or kind of, you know, dismiss it and, and not really st continue updating it because it doesn't work out. That would be really significant. Sure, we've defeated the cryptocurrencies to a certain degree. And like we've laughed the metaverse out of the room. But it's I think it's much more significant to do that to Apple. And I would just say, you know, certainly Apple is known for like its privacy stances and stuff like that. But people shouldn't forget that like, Remember the stories of the Chinese workers who who make these things, who had suicide nets like put on their their barracks where they live because they hated their jobs and their working conditions and their lives because of that so much that they were willing to kill themselves. Like this is still a very unethical company that's just very good at marketing. Let's wrap up, Paris. I know we're at time. Can you tell us where can people find your Disconnect newsletter and your Tech Won't Save Us podcast? Absolutely. Um, you know, if they want to subscribe to the newsletter, it's disconnect.blog. Just type it into the URL field on any browser. It should bring you there. Um, and of course, Tech Won't Save Us is on pretty much any podcast platform you could want to use, you know, even the big Apple ones uh, and Google and things like that. Um, or, you know, you can go to techwon'tsave.us, you know, where you can find the website and all the episodes and all that kind of stuff there too. Paris Marks, this has been a great conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to our next chat sometime on Tectonic, but thanks for being on the show today. Very much appreciated. It was great to talk to you again. And we're back. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the remaining 10 minutes of the show. And then the great Dave Mandel comes into Studio A and hosts his amazing show called It's Complicated. It's a prog rock show, and you should listen to it. We just heard my interview with Paris Marks, 
a tech critic, author, podcaster, and past guest here on Tectonic. In his Disconnect newsletter, Paris, on June 5th, wrote a piece called Apple's Vision Pro Headset Deserves to be Ridiculed. And now, listeners, if you've listened to the whole interview, now I hope you understand why it is so very important that this Vision Pro headset be ridiculed early and often, <laughs> whenever you see it. And I'm, and I'm saying the headset should be ridiculed, not the people. I don't, I'm not in favor of any personal... You know, making make, making people feel bad or ridiculing people—that's not nice. But but the headset itself, as as Paris said, you can ask someone why why wear this face jail. First, I guess you have to ask them to take it off, or maybe 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 they're looking at you through their little computer eyes. Do you understand how this thing works? They're not actually looking at you when you put on the face jail. They are seeing a computerized representation of you that is being sent into an internal screen. They're not actually looking at you at all. They're looking at a screen inside this opaque little enclosure that their face is in. And you are not looking at their eyes. You're looking at a computerized representation of their eyes that's provided by Apple. So Apple provides Apple's filtered version of their eyes to you, and Apple provides Apple's filtered version of you to them. So you can see just in the in the basic construction of this hardware, Apple has set itself up as a gatekeeper that is filtering and and the intermediary of the entire experience. The person is is basically blinded by this face jail, by this Vision Pro face jail. So and and you are unable to see them either. You can only see what Apple whether you're on the inside or outside, you can only see what Apple decides to present to you. And, and that's just a terrible, terrible situation to normalize. And yet, the game is normalization, as it always is with these new tech launches. These companies desperately want normalization and habituation for people to say, oh, this is normal. It's normal for us to put on face jails. So right, right now, it's $3,500. What they're trying to do is get Richie's to, to uh, strap it on and walk around or, I guess, sit on planes in first class and say, look at me, look at me. I have $3,500 to blow on this face jail. And, and Apple hopes desperately that people will look at that and say, I want to be a Richie too. I guess someday maybe I will get the, not the pro version, but the light version of the of the vision goggles, the vision light headset or something like that. I wish I could put a face gel on. And that's, that's the moment we have to put a stop to this. Say, we are not putting this on. Don't let your friends, your neighbors, your kids, uh, by all, for Pete's sake, please don't let your kids put this thing on. And on, on that point, by the way, there's some people out there who say, I would never, I would never allow my child to put a face gel on their face. I mean, a phone is one thing, but goodness, putting a, putting a $3 trillion uh, enclosure on, on their face, that's just, that, that sounds skeevy. Well, when you say skeevy around here at Tectonic, you know what name comes right up to the front, and that's Mark Zuckerberg. And sure enough, on June 16, so just three days ago, the New York Times had an article called <laughs> Meta that is to say Facebook, to lower age for users of virtual reality headset. Let me just stop for one second. I'm not going to read the whole uh, headline just yet. 
because I, I just want to set this up that Facebook has its own little face gel. It's called Quest. And Mark Zuckerberg came out with this Quest headset. It was going to be your entry into this wonderful metaverse. And it's, it, this was last year, because last year, 2022, was metaverse year. 2023 is AI year, according to Silicon Valley, that sets the, the, the annual fad. So last year was the metaverse year. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg went on this press tour saying the metaverse is going to be so great. Um, we have avatars that look like they were drawn with 1992 era uh, animation. Uh, by the way, there are no legs to any of the avatars, but as I said, it's going to be great. This is Zuckerberg uh, talking, and we have this wonderful face jail called Quest uh, that you're going to strap on and and just zoom legless through this dystopia that I've this 1992 era lawnmower man looking dystopia that we're all going to live in. And by the way, you're going to buy all your avatars clothes through me, Mark Zuckerberg, because of my fashion sense. Anyway, on with that. So Quest was like so many other um, big tech dystopian platforms was allowing users as early as 13 years old to log in. This was, you know, we've talked about this about Instagram has gotten in trouble because it's not supposed to let kids under 13 to use it. And, um, and of course they do. And they say, oh, but what can you do? There's no way we can try, no way we can figure out who people are. It's not like we're good at surveillance or anything. Anyway, so Facebook has this Quest headset. They were saying, uh, we want users as early as 13 to strap this thing on. It's just terrible. And then the New York Times comes out with this, this headline on June 16, three days ago, Facebook to lower the age for users of the Quest headset from 13 down to 10. Facebook is now proposing that 10-year-olds put on their stupid dystopian headset. Now, why? Why, if Zuckerberg already is trying to normalize this for 13-year-olds, why would he go out of his way and raise the potential attention of regulators? Not that regulators have done very much against Facebook, but one can dream, can't we? Uh, why would Zuckerberg take the time to do that uh, on uh, 10-year-olds? And the, t the Times story, I think, had the right conclusion. Lowering the minimum age requirement for the company's Quest headset could help familiarize younger audiences with the metaverse. And that's, and, unquote. And so normalization again. And why does Zuckerberg need to normalize and habituate at, at age 10? Because the stock price has plunged. So Zuckerberg, in a bid to recover his stock price, because Zuckerberg, poor Zuck, does not have enough money. You understand. He, he's dying here. He's down to like 40 billion or something. How can a man live with only tens of billions and not hundreds of billions of dollars of net worth? So he needs to pump up this stock price again. And so he says, where can we get a little more growth? Let's go to the 10-year-olds, the 10-year-old boys, the 10-year-old girls. Let's get them to strap on this dystopian headset. Yeah, that's a great idea. The great Dave Mandel is almost here, friends. I'm out of time. Man, I was Building up some steam, but I'm going to have to pick it up next week. We're out of time. You've been listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County, and 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, avoid Apple. Please avoid Apple and its stupid face gel. Abandon Amazon. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. And let's end with that Daily Show bit by Jason Jones in 2014 as Jason Jones was talking to the uh, users of Google Glass, and he had some pointed comments. Here it is. Have a great week, everybody.
Yes, it seems even in this day and age, you can still be treated differently just because of how you look. Wearing a $1,500 face computer. Sadly, glassophobes like tech author Larry Rosen are all too comfortable to openly discriminate. I'm actually very pro-technology, but you don't know if they're videotaping you or taking pictures of you. That's a level of privacy that we're finding that people really don't want violated. What? Those nerds can videotape me? Yeah, it's basically a cell phone on your face. So you can make calls, get emails, surf the internet. And of course, take pictures. Did you just take a picture of me? Yes. Are you recording me? Of course Stop I am. Stop recording me. This is our point of view. Do you see how that can be considered invasive? I, I can see that, except that you have cameras pointed at me. Yeah, except our cameras have, you know, red lights on them and big crew guys operating them and you signed a release form for a national TV show. Otherwise, exact same thing, yeah. They all had stories of name-calling, denial of service at restaurants and bars, even assaults, all because people thought they were being surreptitiously filmed, which sometimes they were. I was at a bar and people started verbally accosting me. They started getting physical immediately when I started recording. They ripped them off my face, basically, and they ran outside. It was a, a hate crime. The silly thing is, is that they're going to be wearing these things probably in a year. And these Philip K. Dicks are on a mission to bring us all into the future. Let's put aside that these glasses are just stupid. What is it about this that seems like it's too much for you? The best uses of glass today are apps where it acts as an interface between you and the real world. Um, for instance... Do, do you guys hear yourself okay. when you talk? An interface between you and the real world. Those are called eyes. What am I not seeing here? that you guys are clearly seeing while you're not looking at me. Accessibility, having instant access to right. everything on your cell phone, basically. But you already have access to everything on your cell phone, via your cell phone. Yes, but you have it right there on your eye. Right, and that's good. And that sweet sound means, ladies and gentlemen, that it's time for this week's episode of It's Complicated, an hour, a full hour of Prague and Prague-adjacent music. I'm your host, Dave Mandel. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Just, <laughs> just got out of face jail, and I'm trying to get my uh, stuff together here. So I'm going to start start this week's show with a few examples of what I would call progressive folk music. We're going to hear something, uh, something contemporary, something relatively new, seven years old, which is like brand, brand new as far as I'm concerned. And then we're going to hear a few older things from the 60s and 70s. And we will start today's show with a group from, from Bridgewater, New Jersey, a group called Advent, and a track from an album that's available on Bandcamp 
called Cantus Firmus, and from that we're going to hear a track called Utter Once Her Name, and I hear a lot of, uh, I guess, like Anthony Phillips era Genesis. Anthony Phillips was the was the uh, original guitarist in Genesis and very influential on that group. I'll talk more about him in a minute. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to play something by Anthony Phillips. But first, we're going to hear this. This will be a track called uh, Utter Once Her Name from the group Advent. Here we go. Probably better to start at the beginning of the track. Give me a second. She came to us on sunshine's breath. Her smile was the dawn. Her hair a roadmap to. Steady as a sun dial her 
And that's music from the group Advent, who, as I said, are from Bridgewater, New Jersey, from an album released in 2006 called Cantus Firmus, a term I remember from the one or two <laughs> music classes I, I ever took as a teenager. And a uh, really nice blend of sort of Renaissance-style, 